My name is Zach Campbell. I have a ministry called Known Campus Ministries, and the idea is to make Jesus known on our college campuses. I help local independent Baptist churches uh, reach and engage their college campuses by helping them start Bible studies and outreach programs on those college campuses as a local church ministry. So really getting local churches involved and reaching those campuses. There's over 19.9 million students in the U.S., over 1 million international students that come to the U.S. to get their education. You might say, well, it's, it's so hard to send a missionary to China. Well, over 400 100,000 Chinese students come to the U.S. to get their education or oftentimes in our own backyard and 90% of international students are never reached out to, uh, never invited to a church by any form of Christianity. What a sad statistic. But there's millions of people on our college campuses. Um, we have over 4,300 college campuses in the U.S. alone. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about the ministry. My, name, uh, I, my uh, family were missionaries in the Philippines for uh, 11 years. Um, I grew up there from the age of 2 to 13 and uh, got to experience a lot of different things over there in the culture, but I'll just move quickly through kind of the testimony. Uh, my mom got sick. We weren't really sure what was wrong with her. We ended up coming back to the States, come to find out. She had stage 4 lymphoma and 10 tumors in her body. Um, and the doctor said if we stayed in the Philippines for just a few more weeks, she would have passed away. Um, but the Lord brought us back in his timing. And praise the Lord, she's been about eight years now with her cancer and remission. So praise the Lord for that. But God redirected my family back to the States. And one of my dreams growing up was to play football. I was able to receive several scholarships to go play. I went to a small Division I university in Pennsylvania, and that's where the Lord began to give me a burden for campus ministry. I remember being in a room about this size, and every athlete of the university had to go attend the speaker. The speaker got up, began to talk, and then he asked this question, how many of you have thought about committing suicide before? If you have, would you stand up? I remember seeing dozens and dozens of students standing, and I'm thinking to myself, these are the students that have the Division One scholarships, they're on the athletic team, they have all the party life, the alcohol, the popularity, they have everything the world says you would want, but they were the ones that were the most empty. See, the devil's a great marketer, but he sells a worthless product, and the, the world is bought into that product, and they'll never be satisfied with the result. And there's people searching, there's over a thousand suicides on college campuses each year. One in 12 college students said they made plans to commit suicide. One in five said they've had thoughts of suicide. 50, over 50% of students report anxiety and depression, and all these different things because they'll never find it in their textbook. They're never going to find it from their professors, but they'll find it with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives the peace that passes all understanding is what they need and that joy that they need in their life and is found in the gospel of Christ. And that's what the Lord has called me to do. It's called me to help uh, uh, reach these campuses and help local independent Baptist churches reach these campuses for the gospel of Christ. Over, Like I said earlier, 19.9 million students 62 world leaders have come to the U.S. to get their education. You might get mad at politics today. You might get mad at our president. You might get mad at the direction of our country, but our future politicians, our future doctors, our future lawyers, our future leaders are all on a college campus today. And if we don't reach them now, we weren't going to see a change in our country. What America needs, it doesn't need some new politician. It needs the Lord. It needs the gospel of Christ. And that's the only thing that can save America. And that we have those people on our college campuses that are searching, that are looking, looking for answers. And it's found in the Bible. And it's our job to go and tell these people. And I'm thinking, for all the doors the Lord has hope, uh, opened for me. I've been doing this ministry full-time for almost a year and a half now. 
Um, and really what we do is we help the church engage uh, these campuses by Bible studies, outreach programs, and soul winning on campus. We evangelize. I travel when I preach as an evangelist and, and share the burden with young adults and try to get more people involved in this ministry. We educate. We teach the church of how to reach the college campus. A lot of people say, how do we even get on a college campus? I took a pastor the other day, and he was, he was nervous. He said, we're not even allowed to be here. And I said, no, we're allowed to be here. So we come in and we train the church and teach the church how to reach the campus. We establish official, official classes clubs on college campuses, so we help the church become officially recognized club on the college campus, and then lastly, we encourage everyone to get involved. Everyone can get involved, everyone can have a role in this ministry, and it can have an impact that reaches the world. Oftentimes, the world comes into our own backyard, and if we just reached our own backyard, we could reach the world with the gospel. Amen. Our, my home church, I'm from Bowie, Maryland, my sending church is Woodlawn Baptist Church, and we just started the University of Maryland um, Bible study a couple of weeks ago. We've been on campus for a little while now. And the Lord is blessed and opened many different doors. But every day as I walk on campus, I see people from all across the country that come to the University of Maryland to get their education. And I think about, wouldn't it be sad that someone that comes from a country that could never hear the gospel comes to a country that proclaims the gospel, says they proclaim the gospel, and they never hear about the message of Christ? Wouldn't that be sad? I had a student, um, we were doing outreach at the uh, University of Maryland Baltimore campus, we had a student come up to the table that we were doing outreach at, and he asked us what we were doing, and we were taking prayer requests, and that student gave us a prayer request, and I said, um, did you come from your country to here to, for education? He said, yes, the only experience I have in America is coming to this campus. I came from Iraq, and he came up to our table, and we gave him a book of Romans. It might be the only piece of Bible he's ever touched in his life. Imagine the people you could reach, and they're all on college campuses. So be praying as we seek to reach our local campuses in this area, but as, uh, as I travel and be praying that the Lord continues to open doors, and I'm excited for what He has this evening. I'll start to share some more testimonies and share a little bit more about the ministry, but before then, we're going to play a quick video. This video is just a, a two-minute video, just a kind of some things we put together. Um, nothing uh, great as far as um, uh, video camera and all that, but it's just a testimony of a man who got saved at a Bible study. And then we show some of the outreaches we've done on college campuses. Um, but I'm thankful for all that God has done. I'm excited for the opportunities we have in the future so we can play that video. Those are just a few things we've done on college campuses. But really, it's just to give you a view of what you could do on your campus. Um, and the Lord's opened many different doors. And I'm, we're excited to see how he continues to open doors. But the Lord will open doors on your campus as well. And we could have a big impact. So be praying for people to get involved and for opportunities to be open and for the future of that campus outreach, that we'd be able to reach many students for Christ and lives would be changed. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 5, a very familiar passage, but something, um, this passage has really impacted my life, so I pray that it would be a blessing to you all this, this morning. Luke chapter 5, and we'll be, uh, if, you, if you stand for the reading of God's Word, um, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass, that as the people pressed upon him to hear the Word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drop. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. When they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break, and they beckoned under their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should, uh, should come and help them, and they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. 
When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him had the drought, drought of fishes which they had taken. So it was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's pray this morning. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to be in church. We thank you for all the many blessings you've given to us. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray your word would challenge us this morning. But Lord, help us not only to be challenged, but to be changed for your honor and glory. Forgive forgive me of my sins. Help me to decrease and you to increase. Lord, speak through me this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, Getting to travel and do... uh, uh, as an evangelist, a missionary evangelist, and doing different campus ministries, you get to do a lot of different um, things. I was telling the young adults some of the things you get to do, and just the different stories you get to get to tell. I was doing a youth kind of um, youth camp for it was a, called a summer fun camp. It was a horse camp over there in Maryland for kids six to twelve year olds, and we had preaching all week, and they had a camp going on. And I brought my brother to come help, and every day we did preaching, and we'd have skits. So. I had the idea for the skit. I was going to have the devil try to take the treasure chest that week, which had a bunch of prizes in it for the toys, uh, a bunch of, for the kids, and there's a bunch of toys in them. And um, the snake, uh, the, the devil was going to be this 10-foot-long stuffed animal snake that I'd bought. And every day we'd kind of have a battle with this snake and uh, different things. But the devil was going to try to get my brother to help him steal the treasure chest. And I thought, this is going to be a good plot to have. And I was like, this is going to work out well. So we start going through the skits and stuff, and the kids developed a hatred for my brother. And it, wasn't, it was an actual true hatred. Like, kids would come up and punch him and say, you're a liar. And they were like, and I was like, man, this is getting bad. Um, these kids actually hate my brother. So I said, you know what, we need to, we need to change something. So I said, Wes, you're going to get saved today in the skit. So we had this, like, epic kind of skit, and Wes got saved, and the devil was mad, and all these different things. And I thought that would have fixed the problem. Well, it didn't. The kid said, we don't believe that you got saved. You're still lying. You're still lying. And um, so that, I always say that those kids, I hope, they, I hope they finally understood at the end of the week. Um, but no, it's fun. Get to do things like that. Get to, get to be in different states. And I'm thankful. Thank you for the nice place to stay and for all the snacks and different things and for um, all the food that I've been fed. The Mexican was great last night. So I appreciate that and I appreciate the hospitality here. Um, Luke chapter 5 will begin this morning. Uh, a very familiar passage, one that the Lord has challenged me in many areas. In, and I hope that it can be a blessing this morning. Um, as we get into this passage, I'm going to give a brief introduction to where we're at and then um, really dive down through each verse of this passage. John the Baptist had been preaching and about the coming Messiah, and one day Jesus comes by and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. One of the people there was Andrew. Andrew hears this and goes and finds his brother Peter and brings Peter to Jesus. You see that in John chapter 1. As you continue kind of the timeline of things, uh, Jesus gets baptized. He goes goes into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. You see that in Luke chapter 4. And he comes out of the wilderness and really kind of begins his earthly ministry. He begins to teach. He begins to do miracles. And you see that in Luke chapter 4. He began to teach and they would say they were astonished at his doctrine. They said his word was of power. They said, who is this man who speaks this way? Who is this man who has so much power in the things he says? And people began to flock to him because they wanted to hear what he was going to say. But not only did he speak... With power, he began to cast out demons in verse 33 of chapter 4. He heals Peter's mother-in-law in verse 38. He begins to heal and cast out more devils in verse 41 through 42. The lame are healed, the blind see, the deaf hear. Great miracles are happening, and people are wanting to see what he's going to do and hear what he's going to say, and people begin to press upon Jesus. He arrives in Galilee. He goes in the synagogue in verse 44 of chapter 4, and he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. And you might say, well, what did he preach? You go to Mark chapter 1, this is what he preached. 
the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. He preached the gospel. Um, but that's really where we're at in this story and the timeline of things. But I want to focus on a man named Peter. See, Peter had already met Jesus. Peter was a follower of Jesus from afar off. But God had a plan for Peter's life, not just to be the best fisherman or to have the best paying job or the nicest house, the nicest boat. But God had a plan for Peter's life and something was about to happen. For the next few moments, I want to preach a message. When Jesus steps into your boat, when Jesus steps your boat, you'll see three things this morning. When he steps your boat, the first thing you'll see is he'll challenge you. He'll challenge you. Go to verse number one as we begin to examine this passage. The Bible says, and and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, Jesus preaching led to a big following. Everyone wanted to hear what Jesus was going to say. They wanted to be there, and the people began to press upon him. They were putting effort to be there. There, there was a lot of people there. They were fighting to get in the front so they could hear what Jesus was going to say. But let me ask you today, how bad do you want to hear the word of God? These people pressed upon Jesus so they could hear the word of God. But how bad do we really want to hear the word of God today? And the, these people, they press upon Jesus. They wanted to hear what he was going to say, and they're by the lake of Genesaret, which is just another name for the Sea of Galilee, and they're in this general area, and um, as the story goes on, we see that there's two ships standing by the lake, and the fishermen were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets for the day. How many after a long day's work, you want to go home, right? These men were cleaning up, they were getting ready to go home, they were packing up for the day, and here comes Jesus. Jesus has this crowd around him, Jesus has these people following him, and he looks down, he sees these fishermen, and he walks down towards Peter's boat, and he personally chooses, Peter, look, And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. Jesus enters Simon's boat, and he says, hey, Peter, would you push your boat out a little from the land so I can preach to this crowd, so I can, so I can teach to this crowd, and, and push your boat out so I have a better place to teach from? And now Peter has a decision to make. He has a decision to make. Is he going to have time for Jesus when he shows up? Is he going to have time for Jesus? Peter, this time, is packing up. He's cleaning his nets. He's been working all night. I'm sure he's tired. I'm sure he wants to go home. But here comes Jesus, and Jesus comes to his boat and says, Peter, I got something for you to do. Peter could have said, you know what, Lord, how about this? Can you come back next week? We'll schedule a whole day for to use my boat. How about this, Lord? We can use it all next week when I'm not fishing. And he could have came up with excuse after excuse, but he had this and his, and, uh, had this moment in time where he had to decide whether or not he was going to have time for Jesus when he shows up. And each and every one of us have decisions to make. Are we going to have time for Jesus when he shows up? It might not be convenient for us. It might not seem like the best time in our thinking. We might say, how about Lord? What about next week? What about next year? What about when I get this done? But do you have time for Jesus when he shows up in your life? Peter has a decision to make. Peter makes a good decision. He made time for Jesus in verse 3. He says, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Peter lets Jesus use his boat for the furtherance of preaching. Peter lets Jesus use his time, or, uh, lets Jesus use his time for the furtherance of the preaching. But you know what? When you let Jesus use your life, you get a front row seat to seeing the Lord work. Peter's now in a front row seat to hearing the Lord Jesus Christ preach from his boat, but it's because he made time for Jesus in his life. You want to see Jesus work in your life? You want to see God do do some work in your life? It starts by giving your time to Christ. It starts by saying, Lord, you know what? It's all yours. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to listen to you, Lord. I have some other things I might have to do, but Lord, if this is what you want me to do, you're stepping into my life right now, and this is what you want, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. Peter makes the right decision decision. He lets the Lord use his boat. He lets the Lord use his time. But then we see the request in verse 4. What is the request? It's this. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep 
and let down your nets for a drop. As you begin thinking about this, Peter's in the boat, and Peter, Jesus comes up to him and says he prayed, and he kind of asked Peter if he could use his boat. This time, Jesus is done speaking. He turns to Peter and says, launch out into the deep. He speaks to Peter as the master of the boat, but Peter owns the boat. How do we respond when the Lord speaks as the master of our life? And you say, well, this is my life, Lord. We'll see how Peter responds in a second. But he says, launch out into the deep. Launching out would take some time. This would take some effort. This would take some, some, some strength by them and do all these different things. And, and it wouldn't be necessarily convenient because they're already packing up and he says launch out into the deep and he tells Peter to launch out he speaks to Peter as the master he tells Peter to go in a direction notice launching out would separate Peter from the crowd launching out would cause Peter to be closer to Jesus but let me ask you this when's the last time Jesus has asked you to launch out When's the last time Jesus has challenged you in your life to launch out in some area? When's the last time Jesus has spoken to you and said, it's time to get more involved? But let me tell you, you will never hear the call to launch out unless you make time for him. Many of us today, we were like, we haven't heard the call to launch out. Maybe it's because we haven't made time for him. Maybe because we haven't let him into our our boat or into our life and whatever it might be in our life. When's the last time Jesus has called you and challenged you to launch out? Peter had launched out the night before. And many of us today are okay with launching out in our own ambitions. We're okay with launching out in our own dreams. We're okay with launching out in our own direction we want to go. But there's something different about launching out for Christ. See, when we launch out in our own dreams, our own abilities, and our own desires, those are all our own strength. But when we launch out for Christ, it's nothing to do about us, and it's all to do about Christ. In this, in this passage, we see that Peter's talents came up short. His talents came up short, an experienced fisherman. He knew how to catch fish, but he caught no fish. But let me tell you today, one day your talents will come up short. Your talents can only get you so far in this world. But when you launch out for Christ, it doesn't matter about your talents. It doesn't matter about your abilities. It matters about the God who called you and the God who called you will make a way. But we see this in this passage, the call to launch out. The call to launch out. When's the last time Jesus has called you to launch out in your soul winning, your Bible reading, your walk with God, getting involved in a bus route, in a Bible study, Witnessing to that one person. When's the last time Jesus has challenged you to take a step of faith to launch out for him? Ask yourself that question. When Jesus steps into your boat, he'll challenge you. He'll challenge you. We need some Christians today that are going to launch out in their Christian walk. But notice this. He says, let down your nets. He's basically saying, hey, Peter, let's go to work. Peter, you worked all night. You let down some nets last night. But Lord, uh, Peter, we're going to go out now. We're going to let down some nets. Launch out. Launch out. The second thing I want you to see is this. When Jesus steps your boat, he'll convict you. I'll show you what I mean by this in a second. Jesus spoke to Peter as the master of the boat. Let's see how Peter responds in verse 5. His response is this. And Simon answering said unto him, Master. He puts Jesus in his rightful place. He puts Jesus as the master of the boat, as the leader of the boat. Today, when Jesus speaks as the master of our life, do we respond, master, master. Peter responds in the right way, but what does he say? What does he say here? We see this. He says this, we have toiled all night. And we have taken nothing. The word toiled has worked extremely hard. They put an effort all night. And they, they try to catch some fish and they try to go out. 
And he said they caught nothing. You know what that means? There was no income. You know what? No fish means no money. You know what that means? There's probably discouragement. There probably had some bills they got to pay. And who knows what all the, the life story is going on in their life. But we know they worked hard all night. They caught nothing. And he says, Master, we worked all night. We've already done this. But what does he say? This word is a key word in, in Peter's life. I believe this word is a, is a life-changing word in Peter's life. What does he say? He says, nevertheless. Nevertheless. You know what nevertheless is? It's a yielding word. Peter might say, hey, Lord, it doesn't make sense, Lord. We've already done that. Lord, we did this tonight before. But Lord, if you want us to go, nevertheless, we'll go. He's yielding to the voice of Christ. He's yielding to the direction of Christ today. You might say, Lord, it doesn't really make sense for me to do this. Lord, I really don't have the time to get more involved. You don't understand, Lord. And you begin to come up with excuse after excuse. But you know what Peter did? He said, Lord, we've already done this. But nevertheless, I'm going to follow you. Peter yielded to Jesus. Peter could have came up with a lot of excuses. He could have said, I know know a lot more about fishing than a carpenter does. The best fishing in this area is at night, not during the day. All these crowds and loud teachings have scared away all the fish. Uh, We've already washed our nets, Lord, but instead he decides to yield to Christ. Nevertheless, as I think of this word, nevertheless, I think of Jesus. He says, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Jesus yields to God the Father's will. Today we need some nevertheless Christians, some yielding Christians, some that say, you know what, What, Lord, whatever you call me to do, I'm going to yield to you. You might say, Lord, I I don't really feel like it, Lord. I don't really have the time, but nevertheless, I might miss out on a few things. I might miss out on having the the biggest house or the nicest cars. I might miss out on being the most popular, but nevertheless, Lord, if this is the direction you want for my life, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I might miss out on all the fancy things. I might get made fun of. I might get mocked, Lord. But Lord, I'm going to yield to you. Where are the Christians today that are going to be yielding Christians like Peter in this passage? We need some Christians that are going to say, hey, the world might mock me for not drinking alcohol, but nevertheless, I'm going to follow Christ. The world might mock me and say things about me for the way I dress, but nevertheless, I'm going to follow Christ. The world might say I might miss out on some things, but nevertheless, I'm going to follow Christ. Where is the Christians today? The world will say, hey, the world might mock you for staying pure, but nevertheless, I'm going to stay pure for Christ. The world might say all these different things, but nevertheless, I will follow Christ. That's what this world needs. It needs some Christians that will yield to God, that will follow God, despite what the world says, despite what's going on. People might say today, you can't reach the college campuses. They're too far gone. Have you looked at the news channels? Have you looked at the social media accounts? Have you seen all the things going on? But where are the Christians that say, it doesn't matter about those things. The Lord has called me, so nevertheless, I'm going to go, whatever it might be in your life. You might say, hey, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But Lord, if this is what you want, nevertheless, I will follow you. Peter yields to Christ. One of my favorite parts of this passage is this. He doesn't just yield to anything. He says, nevertheless, at thy word. Peter wasn't just yielding to any voice. Peter was yielding to the Son of God, the voice of the Son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the, the, the one who's always been, the one who always will be. He wasn't just yielding to anyone. He was yielding to the creator of the world, the, the Word of God, the Word of God, that God's Word, light was created. At God's Word, uh, uh, the, the world was created. The sun, moon, and planets were put into place. At God's Word, life was created. At God's Word, all things are held together. At God's Word, 
kingdoms rise and fall. He wasn't just yielding to anyone. He was yielding to the voice of God. And many Christians today say, you know what? If I was Peter, I would have yielded too. But I'm thankful today the same voice that Peter yielded to is the same voice we have in the word of God. We have God's word. And the same voice that changed Peter's life is the same voice that can change yours today. What does the Bible say about its word? Oh, how I love thy law. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Bible says God's God's word is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Today, Christians, we should be excited because the same voice that changed Peter's life is the same voice we can yield to today. It can change your life. It can impact this world. And today, Christian, we can be challenged. We can be convicted. And lastly, he'll change us. He'll change us to the men and women he wants us to be. Christian, when's the last time you've yielded to his word? When's the last time he's spoken to you through his word? Peter heard the, the call to launch out. He responded and said, nevertheless, at thy word. Where's the Christian that says it? At God's word, that settles it. At God's word, I'll live pure. At God's word, I'll live holy. At God's word, word I'll, I'll live right. At God's word, I won't act that way. I won't talk that way. I won't do those things. Where are the Christians today that say, Lord, I'm going to follow your word. I'm going to yield to your word. Yes. What happens because Peter yields to his word? We see there's a reward in verse 6. What's it say? When they had this done, when they responded, when they listened to God's word, what happened? They enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. When they followed God, they listened to God, they yielded to God, they responded to the Lord, what happened? Their net broke. They caught a multitude of fish. They they weren't supposed to catch any fish. They went out the night before, they didn't catch anything. But when we respond to what God has for us, God is the result maker. When God directs our our works, he's the one who gives the results. Today, there's many Christians that are so close to the reward they're still holding on the net of surrender. They haven't let down the net yet. You'll never catch anything until you let down the net. You'll never, you'll, never, you'll never take the next step in your Christian life until you let down the net. You can have all the head knowledge. Peter could have said, Lord, I know what you want me to do. You want me to throw down the net. Lord, you want me to launch out. But he could have had it all in his mind. But unless, until he did what he was supposed to do, that's when he saw the result. Today, Christian, you might have all the head knowledge. You might know what you're supposed to do. You might know where you're supposed to go. But until you do it, you won't see results. You need to yield. You need to follow. Take the step. Throw down on the net. And one day, spiritually in your life, you'll look back and you'll see a spiritual catch. you look back and say, look what God did there. Look how God brought that together. Look what God did there. I followed the Lord. I launched out. And look how God brought that together. Look how that person got saved. That family was put back together. You'll never see the catch unless that you let down the net. Peter let down the net. There was an abundant blessing. Look in verse 7. They beckoned unto their partners. They begged their partners. They beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship. That they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships. So that they began to sink. I've read this passage my whole life. And I always thought Peter's boat was the one sinking. 
Both of them were. They filled both the ships so that they began to sink. You know, when you lift for God, you yield to God, others will be blessed. Those around, around you will get in on the blessing. These, these men, they, they, they see Peter's boat. They have all these fish, and Peter said, we need some help. They come, they fill both the ships so that they began to sink. Think about the night before, they worked for free. They caught no fish, no money. But now they have the biggest catch of their lives. Their boats are sinking. Who knows the amount of money that's in their boats? Who knows what's happening in this moment? But their net is breaking. Their boats are sinking. All these things are happening, and they're standing there. And you know what Peter begins to do? What is Peter's response? We see this, his remorse. I said, well, why is he remorseful? Look in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. I think Peter, if it was me, I thought Peter would have been out there getting those fish, putting them all in, but instead he falls before Jesus and says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. What, What is this? Peter thought he knew better. Why? Where do you see this in this passage? Verse 4, Jesus tells Peter, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drop. Peter responds, nevertheless at thy word, I will let down the net. There's a difference between nets and net. See, Peter let down the net in surrender, but he didn't let down the nets in faith. Peter said, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I will do it. I will do it. I will go. But Peter didn't think they were going to catch any fish. So he threw down a net. Jesus prepared Peter for the blessing that Jesus was going to give Peter. He said, throw down the nets. Peter, Jesus knew how many fish were coming. Peter said, Lord, I'll just yield to you, and I'll throw down the net. Man, that's good. Yep. What does this look like in our life? How many times we know the Lord, he wants us to pass out the gospel. So we'll go out and we'll pass out gospel tracts because we're surrendering, we're following God. But how many times do we have faith that God's going to use that gospel tract to change someone's life? How about this? We pray because we know the Lord wants us to pray. The Bible teaches us to pray. So we yield and we surrender and we pray. But how many times do we have faith that God's going to answer our prayers? How about this? We come to church because we know the Bible tells us to be in church and to be faithful to church. But how many times do we have faith that God's going to speak to our hearts while we're in church. See, it's one thing to surrender. It's another thing to surrender with faith and say, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to go because I know Christ has a plan for me, so I'm going to have faith in my surrender. Look, for instance, we went to the University of Maryland, one of the first campuses we went, I went on. I was excited. I, this is what the Lord wanted me to do, so I brought one of the guys from our church and we went on campus. We began to go talk to students and we were like, this is, good. This is what the Lord has for us, so it's going to be good. So we went out there. You know, I've had, that was probably the worst day I've ever had on a college campus, the first day. And we looked at each other and we're like, what is happening? People weren't taking our stuff. People were laughing at us. And we're like, what is, Lord, this is what I thought you wanted us to do. We went home that day discouraged. That night, or the next day, someone from the University of Maryland emailed my pastor and said, I saw your church bus coming by. Can I get a ride to church? You know what that was? It's not about who we are. It's about who God is. It's not about our power. It's not about our ability. It's about the God who calls you. If God has called you, God will make a way. Have faith in your surrender. If God's called us to be a witness, let's have faith that the gospel still works. If God's told you to get more involved, if God's called you to go on a mission field, whatever it might be, if God's called you, have faith in your surrender. God called you for a reason. Peter was remorseful because he thought he knew better. Look at verse 8. He fell down before Jesus. When we choose our way over God's way, it always leads to the same place, regret and shame. Peter falls down and said, Lord, I yielded, but I should throw down all the nets. I didn't have faith. When we choose our way over God's way, we'll look back one day and say, 
Lord, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm shameful. Don't let that be you. Verse 9, the realization. For he was astonished and all that were with him at at the drought of fishes which they had taken. Because Peter was such an experienced fisherman, and because he knew how unfavorable the conditions were, he knew all the more what a great miracle this was. Peter knew this wasn't supposed to happen. He knew that, that that's not supposed to happen. And we get to verse um, 10, the last point. So when Jesus steps to a boat, he'll challenge you. Begin to challenge Peter. Can I use your time? Can I use your boat? Can I speak to these people? Then he convicts Peter, launch out into the deep. And he does a great miracle, and Peter's staying there, convicted by the power of God. But then lastly, when Jesus steps to a boat, he wants to change you. Look here in verse 10. Verse 10 says this, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. These men had a new calling in their lives. They, they had a new direction for their lives. There was a redirection. They used to be fisher, uh, f- fishers of fish, and now they're fishers of men. Today, hey, God has a plan for each and every one of you. God wants to mold us into the men and women he wants us to be, but it starts with us inviting him into our lives and allowing, uh, giving, us, uh, giving him your time and, and your boat, whatever it might be in your life, but then you'll see the power of God, and you'll see, wow, look what God can do, but lastly, he wants to change you. These men, they're they're sitting here in shock by what just happened. Jesus, the Son of God, is now calling them, saying, you're going to be fishers of men. You've got a new new calling for your life, but today, look at this. Before they followed, they had to forsake some. What's it say in verse 11? They forsook all and followed him. As I began to think about that, they just had the biggest catch of their life. I don't know the amount of income that would have brought in. I don't know about the the amount of money that came in for that, that could have came in from that. I don't know maybe some bills they had to pay or some projects they wanted to get done. But you know what happened? They left the blessing behind. They forsook the blessing because they were following the God of the blessing. Today, they, were, they, they weren't just following the blessing. They, didn't, they weren't just in it for the blessing. They were in it for the God or the blessing. The big catch was a lot of money, but they forsook that. They could have said, Lord, how about this? We're going to go cash in on these fish. We're going to go get some things settled, and then we're going to follow you. No, they left that behind. Why? Because they saw how great God was. They saw how powerful he was. And when they saw how big and God, great God was, the blessing looked so small. They followed Christ. They had to forsake some things before they followed. They left the catch behind because because the riches of this world won't last, and there's treasure in heaven that lasts forever. They had their priorities right. They saw who Christ was, and they said, why would we stay here with the blessing when we can serve the God of the blessing? Today, are you serving the blessing or the God of the blessing? It's so easy for the blessing to become our God. If there's some things in our life that we couldn't forsake, maybe it's those things that have become a God in our life. Traveling in different churches, you see this a lot. Someone needed a car, so they pray for a car for weeks. God gives them the answer and gives them a car. And then they slowly get out of church. The blessing became the God. Don't let the blessing become the God. See how big and great the God of the blessing is. That's who we serve. That's who we should follow. That's who they chased after. They said, we want to follow God. They forsook it all. How bad do you want the will of God today? 
They left everything for the will of God. But I'm afraid today, most Christians, they want the will of God if they can get a lot of money too. They want the will of God if they get the big house. They want the will of God if they get the nicest cars. They'll take the will of God if they can stay close to home. They'll take the will of God if they get this relationship or if they have this happen. They'll take the will of God if it's not too much sacrifice and we come up with excuse and excuse and we'll say, hey, hey, we'll, we'll take the will of God if you give me this, you get this going. But where's the Christian now? Say, Lord, you've called. Lord, I'm just going to go. I don't know the way. I don't know how it's going to work, but Lord, if this is what you want, I'm going to yield to you. And Lord, I'm thankful for the blessings, but I'm not in it for the blessings. I'm in it for you. I'm following you because I love you. I see how big you are. I see how great you are. I see how holy you are. I see how just you are and all the attributes of God. And you see who God really is. When you see who God really is, the blessings always look so small because Christ is, is, is supreme. He died for us. He gave his life for us. He shed his blood for us and he makes us righteous in him and today we have so many blessings that come along with being a Christian but today I'm asking you this are you in it for Christ these men could say all I have is Christ we left it all behind all I have is Christ today could you say all I have is Christ of course the Christians today they're gonna say you know what you can have all the money I'll take Jesus you can have all the popularity. I'm going to take Jesus. You can have all the alcohol of this world. I'm going to take Jesus. You can have all the parting of this world. I'm going to take Jesus. You can have that job promotion. I'm going to follow Jesus. You can have everything in this world has to offer. I'll take Jesus. You can have all the sin of this world. I'm going to take Jesus. Where's today the Christians? They're going to say, I'm going to take Jesus. I'm going to take Jesus. At first, Jesus wanted... Peter's time, he wanted Peter's boat, and then he wanted Peter's life. Today, Christian, Jesus wants your time, he wants your boat, whatever that might be in your life, but ultimately, he wants your life. What would be the impact if all of us decide to forsake whatever it is and say, I'll take Jesus? Lord, wherever you call, I'm going to follow you. In my life, the Lord worked very similarly. I shared a little bit of my testimony this morning in the, the young adult class. First two years of college, played, played in Division one football and different things, and it wasn't that I was doing anything crazy wrong, but I was kind of flying under the radar. I was afraid that people would mock me, say things about me, so I decided, you know what, I'm not going to make a big deal and let everyone know that I'm a Christian. I'm just going to, if someone asks, I'll answer. The Lord began to convict my heart. Things were kind of not really going the way I planned, and my sophomore year gave me this verse, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It stuck out to me, it hit me, and I said, Lord, I'm going to do my best to live out that verse the best way I know how. And the Lord began to open door after door after door, and God began to do great things. And I was, and I was, kinda, I was sitting there, I was like, wow, look what the Lord is doing. And then we did an outreach on the middle of campus. You saw one of the videos, and we set 300 chairs set up a platform. We had an independent Baptist preacher preach in the middle of campus. We had over 260 students come down and sit and listen and the preacher gave his testimony, gave the gospel, and he said, if anyone would like to accept Christ, we'd love to talk to you. Would you raise your hand? I saw one of my teammates in the very back, and I said, no, I know what he's all about. He'll never get saved. and He doesn't want anything to do with God. And at the very end, an invitation, that man was raising his hand. You know why he got convicted? Because that was the power of God. That was the power of God. That's what God did. God, God, God would say, hey, it doesn't matter about you, Zach. It doesn't matter about what you think. It matters about what I'm doing, and God can save anyone. God can change anyone. Then lastly, it changed me. My dream going up is to play football. I played in stadiums with 30,000, caught touchdowns. I got to do a lot of the things I dreamed of doing. But now I get just as excited to preach God's word. 
because it changed me. But God wants to change each and every one of you. And God has a plan for each and every one of you. But it starts with this. Have you given your time to Christ? Have you let him in? What's that thing he's been working on you? Get more involved in sowing. Get more involved in this ministry. Ask pastor what, what needs to be done at church. Then lastly, he'll convict you and challenge you or change you. When's the last time Christ has changed you? This process in my life wasn't just one time. It's been several times. He said, launch out in the middle of COVID. I said, Lord, I don't know how that's going to work. I got $50 a month and one meeting schedule. Lord, I don't know how that's going to work. The Lord provided every step of the way. I'm convicted by what he's done. But he continues to change me and mold me into the person he wants me to be. When's the last time? He's challenged you, convicted you, and changed you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Thank you for this example of Peter's life. Thank you for your word, how your word is powerful. It's the power of God and salvation, Lord, the gospel. Lord, I pray that you challenge us this morning, maybe to give us some more time for you, whether it's to get more involved for you, whatever it might be, Lord. Lord, convict us. Lord, we want to see your power. Every time we see our power, we see how small we are, how big you are. But lastly, we want to be changed for your honor and glory. Lord, we want to make a difference in this world. Lord, you... We're still here for a reason, and the gospel still works. We want to see people's lives changed, and Lord, we just want to follow you. Lord, I pray that we make an impact for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.